Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-hosts are DJ and Debbie Boy. Tonight we've got some huge news from Valve, but first, how are you going DJ? I'm going good, I'm going good. Another week, uh, everyone's going going back to um, school and whatnot, so it's getting busy. Well first, why are you anywhere near a school? (laughs) I'm not near a school. I'm just seeing well, all these you know parents. It's getting busy. I'm just seeing all these parents just like buying stuff. Um, saying they're all saying, "Yep, they have to get their kids all go, um, getting ready for school." You know, suspicious, suspicious. <laughs> uh, we've got him some slack because he's a checkout chick. Oh, fair oh. enough. <laughs> so he sees everyone anyway. Get away for this time. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not a stalker. Just that in this case, he probably isn't. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what about you? Oh, I've been good. Starts things are returning to normal. Uh, uni's the same. Still in my room. <laughs> Have you finished your uh, assignments yet? No. Still in the process. Slowly make my way through them. I'll scream for joy the day I do. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoying not having enough time to play any games? <sighs> Man. In some ways, in some ways not. <laughs> <laughs> It's it, it, for you, um, Debbie boy. It's like ah, the holidays are over. Dang! <laughs> I never had holidays. What holidays? You talking about holidays? <laughs> anyway, the uh, the big news from Valve this week is that a uh, large leak happened to come from Valve in the last few days. So, someone from uh, the Valve News Network team, or who worked in a game dev team with the uh, Valve News Network guy decided to leak some secret data that uh, Valve News Network had that contained the full source code to CSGO and TF2 as of uh, the 2017 updates and a bunch of chat logs with between Valve News Network and a Valve employee about potential features in Half-Life 3, projects Valve was working on, and the source code of a fan mod uh, game called well, a fan mod version of F-Stop, which is a part of the prototype for Portal 2. Yeah, it's pretty massive. Like my favorite part of this whole leaks has been, uh, and the drama is not the favorite part. My favorite part's been all the uh, code snippets feel we on through, and uh, inside the actual code has been all the. It's very fun relating when you relate to people up in a high, you know, end game development company. I can see them just routing at each other through the comments and the coding. It's like, no, who coded this? Stop that! <laughs> yes, there's some, uh, some excellent comments there. Yes. I saw one of my favorites the other night. It was uh, along the lines of, I don't know this, I don't want to know this, I hope I never know this, but this is this. <laughs> so it's like it, it's like um it's like when you all those movies that you see with like ah oh, um okay if you receive this you never know me you never saw me you never even thought about me but like <laughs> I wonder Pretty how much it- here we go I found the uh, the image of that so I haven't actually looked at the uh, source code myself yet because um I want to avoid any potential employment issues like how if you saw the Windows source code, you can't work on the React project. But we've got some uh, comments here. This is utterly effing retarded. Uh, STR cat is being Z-stupido. I probably have to strip the other string or something. (laughs) Uh, Make the unbumped version not so effing stupid and not need tangent space transpose, you knob. (laughs) 
And here's the one I mentioned. I don't know why. I don't want to know why. I shouldn't have to wonder why. But for whatever reason, the stupid panel isn't laying out correctly unless we do this terribleness. <laughs> uh, it, it's great when you, you're, like, you're, doing a, you're doing coding in Union stuff or your own little home projects and you just you feel their pain. But uh, <laughs> you understand. Yes, and they also um, tear strips out of Windows programmers as well. This one here, uh, Windows stupidly treats 8-bit file names as some dopey code page rather than UTF-8. If we want to use 8 UTF-8 file names, we have to convert them to WCHAR explicitly and call WCHAR versions of the file functions. So, okay, we do. <laughs> yeah. So, and, here's a oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no. I was going to say, so that's funny. Like all these, all these people are sending all these comments. I wonder if they're going to go like, yeah, I regret these later on. <laughs> I think no, the only reason they'll regret it is if it says gay Ben sucks and I hate yeah, my job. <laughs> hey, these are mainly just the uh, curse being fun of each other. Yeah. So I, I don't think they'll regret them as much. Um, Cause even then to us, we don't know who code, we, we don't know who wrote them. So for them, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't think the, uh, the code includes the, uh, the commit log or yeah. SVN or Git or whatever they use. I would include that because that's separate. Yeah. The, but um, I was, I've spent the last day skimming through the chat logs between Valve News Network, uh, Tyler McVicker, and yeah. this uh, guy claimed to be a Valve employee named Cephalon Cephalon. And he, uh, he leaked some interesting stuff, like a um, figurines of Dota characters. And the idea was they'd have, since Dota and Valve games in general these days are all about the hats. So they were working on a 3D printing technology that would allow them to custom print at commodity prices yeah. these models of um, Dota characters based on your personal configuration. Wow. And they were trying to uh, develop it into a, well, a workable product. Pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, very innovative idea. But I'm guessing they didn't. They couldn't get the work. I'm guessing. Yeah, there's um, also some talk in the chat about amiibos because this uh, came out around. Uh, well, the chat I think was in 2017, 2016. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it turns out uh, Tyler McVicker and Cephalon are both huge uh, amiibo fans, but, um, <laughs> which leads into some interesting revelations that at one point. Apparently, Valve and Nintendo were in talks to produce a Half-Life RTS for the NX, which is the development name of the Switch. Jesus. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Please, is this going to be like one of those Smash Brothers type um, reveals like at E3 a while back? <laughs> How many people were there in Smash Brothers again? <laughs> no, because um, there's no need to have 70 characters in a RTS game. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you... Why not? <laughs> be a balancing nightmare, but why not? Yeah, it's all your favorites: Gordon, uh, the scientists, scientist Alex. number five, <laughs> Alex at the bottom. Just have ah. random alien number forty-five. And since um, games these days are all about alternative skins, yeah, we have tough. different colors of hazard suit for Gordon. <laughs> but of course, the costume for Alex, the alternative costume, is going to be the fake factory cinematic mod costume. God. Please. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't not bring that up again. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, given that it's uh, Portal's in the Half-Life universe as well, I guess you can do a crossover between the two as well, if you need to add more characters. Well, yes, that's what um they were saying. So oh. uh, what I've picked up in my skimming for Half-Life 3 was that Gordon would, this would be set, say, 10 years after 
Half-Life 2 Episode 2. Mm-hmm. And you'd have flashbacks to a sort of dream world and it would reveal what's happened in the past 10 years. I um, see. But part of that is that Gordon becomes post-human and starts bolting on robot bits. <laughs> There's some concept art there too of Gordon with a, uh, a robot arm. Oh my God. And the... Um, so the robot arm was designed to replace basically all of your weapons and be mm-hmm. a... Uh, a tool for controlling elements and the uh, chat log says that they came up with this really detailed thermodynamic simulation for uh, source 2 mm-hmm. so that they could handle it which would uh, let you use the arm to solve puzzles see hmm I don't know how I exactly feel about that because this doesn't really if it, like elements and stuff is kind of like you know it's a very generic thing a lot of games do to the half-life included i'm glad that i'm kind of glad they went with the whole half like alex thing yeah some of these like they're very ambitious ideas that yes. i'm coming up with but um i think um they for that they should probably work up to it a bit yes that's certainly um, interesting uh, i guess it all depends on how they pull it off um, yeah it, well they're not going to anymore i don't think but well yeah the uh if i remember correctly they said they basically scrapped that yeah, understandable. I can see the reasons why. These source codes, by the way, they weren't. They would cost a fortune just to get, just, just for people to buy them, wouldn't they? Well, yeah. So they meant to buy them anyway. So the only way you're supposed to be able to get them is to work at Valve or license the source engine. Yeah. Neither of which are easy things. Source engine is actually pretty easy sometimes. Um, depends on who you are. Okay. If you if I... you've got if you're as these guys were members of the community for a long time, that's kind of like, oh, I know you are. Yeah, have source in. Uh, I figured it would uh, be locked behind the several tens of thousands no. of dollars paywall. And they're pretty open of it. It's just that they're very hard on, obviously, the uh, legal side. But, like, in terms yeah. of getting it, like, think about it. There is, there is obviously a payment. Um, I think it's like $5,000 or something. If I remember correctly, it said um, during when the people did research into, I was watching videos, people did research into the whole um, Half-Life, what was, that, what was that terrible game with all the YouTubers in it? Oh, the Seven Hour War? No, that's not it. I uh, hunt know. down the free man. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Because <laughs> yeah. they, they use a source engine. They got that code. Yeah, they managed to, they didn't just license the source engine. They managed to license the Half-Life IP as well. Yes. And um, Which, um, the guy who made that, Revealed it all, revealed how much it costs and everything inside interviews. So I think it was like $5,000 so in the license. But like, in terms of locking oh. down, it's not that bad, um, apparently. Fair enough. I might have to go and get myself a license myself then. <laughs> for Source <laughs> 2, I have no idea though. This is from the original Source Engine, so it's probably a lot more for Source 2. Oh, well, Hunt Down the Free Man is $10 at the moment, US. That's still too much. <laughs> it's f- uh, for the Australian, for our Australian listeners, it's $14.50. Oof, Still too it. much. Yes. <laughs> Go and watch some YouTube videos. Maybe. Yeah, like watch some YouTube videos because it is special in a bad way. It's the broom of gaming. Yeah. Is it okay? Is it as bad as Fallout seventy six or better than <sighs> Fallout seventy six? Worse. Worse. Oh. It's probably less buggy. No, it's worse. And it probably has more players though. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, uh, the Freeman's probably the most buggiest mess I've ever played. Yeah, but it's actual, like, story-wise, it's terrible. The actual uh, gameplay is not well thought out. Every, every factor of it is amateur, to put it simply. Um, I mean, Fallout 76 at least runs, sort of. It has uh, effort ported to certain aspects, you can tell. Meanwhile, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'll probably wait for it to go on sale. I am kind of curious to try it, like, in the mm. same way I'm curious to play Sonic 06. <laughs> Have fun with that. Yeah. Hope you, hope you got some, like, cheesels ready for the loading screens. <laughs> oh, God, the Sonic 06 loading screens. There was a YouTuber I watched um, who decided to play it, and I think the loading screens added up to, um, like, a whole hour or something yeah, out of about six bad. hours of playtime. It's something terrible. Yeah, it is. It, is, it loads, plays cuts, cutscene, finishes, loads again. Loads yeah. in an in-game cutscene. Ah, oh, stops, loads again. Loads overworld. You walk in overworld. Loads the next section overworld. Loads again. Play a game. So loading. If you're doing one of the really buggy challenges or time trials or something, you walk up to someone and speak to them. You load. You get a, a cutscene. You load, you mm-hmm. get into the game, you fail, you load, you have a cutscene where they tell you you failed, you load back to the overworld, and then you have to go all through it again. Yep. <laughs> but then, anyway, the, uh, this version of Half-Life 3 with the element arm, according to Cephalon, it also borrowed heavily on the uh, post-human body horror from um, the Half-Life 2 beta, with the, uh, the cremators and everyone having bits bolted onto them. So in the uh, the Half-Life beta, things are a lot more sort of cyberpunk and uh, a lot more dystopian, really. I see. There's uh, a lot about it on the Half-Life wiki. Mm. But um, the idea was cremators were, uh, I think they were, might have been aliens, but um, they carried flamethrowers and would go around flamethrowering people. And there was uh, an air exchange where the Combine were basically pumping out massive amounts of pollution. Oh, I see. I mean, I'll have to say, I think I think Half-Life and Half-Life 2 are probably the most extensively researched video games in history. Like, every single factor to those two games has been delved into so many times. It's like, there's hardly anything left. Yeah, like, the, between them and maybe Doom, because um, oh, yeah. the id games have uh, external, have sorry, uh, open source mm. uh, code now, and have a whole bunch of other resources from development release. It's, um, yeah, this stuff all ended up in, in betas and cut content. Um, but uh, actually, one of the dark parts was that you'd come across an arcade where it turns out the man hacks are being controlled by people who think they're playing video games. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of staring up the topic we are, here. But, um, we are, we are. We're, we're delving into a nice tangent. Anyway, uh, Cephalon suggests that there was a restart when Laidlaw left, and that's when they ditched all of um, this about the element arm, because um, there was apparently some creative differences, and Laidlaw left on good terms, but they weren't able to resolve it and keep working on uh, Half-Life 3. Makes sense. But um, Cephalon also mentions uh, Left 4 Dead 3, and implies that they were thinking of having... It seems like he's implying they had plans for crossplay between flat screen gamers and VR. I see. That's interesting. Like, I don't know how that. How would you make that work, though? Yeah, I have no idea how you'd balance that. It's a vow. They'll probably come up with something, but I guess that maybe it's why they scrapped it. Because yeah, that, uh, VR players have so much more control in the situations. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, obviously, PC gamers are a lot more faster with their movement speed compared to uh, VR gamers. But VR gamers, yeah, they can, they can like bend over walls and stuff. And teleport sometimes. True. Yes. Now, um, Left 4 Dead, though, do you actually, do you know if Alex was on Source Engine? Alex, Half-Life Alex is Source 2. Okay. 
because uh, Cephalon was pretty sure that Left 4 Dead would be the last Source 2 project before everyone started using uh, Unreal and Unity. Oh, really? They're moving on? Yeah. He thought, um, so he describes all these issues that he thinks uh, Source 2 has okay. uh, with rendering and um, textures and everything. Man, I'm surprised. I thought, uh, it's like, based on what they did half of Alex, that's freaking impressive. Yeah, so um, Cephalon says here, uh, the VR team is all Unity from here on. Oh. So obviously that hasn't come to fruition. No, it hasn't. But um, yeah, a lot of the other stuff does seem accurate. Like uh, Cephalon included photos of the 3D printed um, Dota model. And hmm. he took a photo from inside the uh, TF2 office. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of information. Yeah, the bit that will get everyone going nuts, though. Cephalon claims Valve tried to employ Kojima. Here, Kojima? Yeah. <laughs> the what? When, when Kojima was uh, left Konami, Cephalon says that they made a bid to Kojima, but Sony outbid them by a lot. <laughs> so there was a bidding war on to get Kojima. Oh, my God. That's... <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what was the, how much? Konami's just like, much? wait, what? It doesn't say how <laughs> much, mean? but um, yeah, I could imagine a lot of companies went out and offered Kojima a job yeah. when, um, when okay, that went down. Poor Konami's, well, not poor Konami, they deserve it, but they're just like, wait, you mean this guy was important? <laughs> <laughs> See, he, here's, here's the thing, though. Like, I wonder how much would have, how much would have cost for Cephalon to go, Jim will be pretty cool to have. All right, $10. $10. I think you'd have to go a little bit higher to get Kojima on your team. Yeah, I think a little more than that. Probably probably put a few more zeros in the end, you'll be good. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's all the, the notes I've taken for that. Hmm. The, um, the other important topic on that to cover is probably the source code. Now, there are rumors going around that there's a uh, remote code execution bug in the source code, which is very bad and has led all of the uh, TF2 server community servers run by major groups to uh, shut down because uh, people are worried that, well, a remote remote code execution bug basically means someone can use the game to run anything on your computer they want. So any virus, any... Yeah, that's not too good. Yeah, but um, Valve are insisting that the uh, there shouldn't be any RCEs that have been found in that branch of the code. Mm. And you can find Valve's... Um, Valve does have a hacker one presence, so if you do happen to know anything about this and aren't just a big troll, go and tell them because they will give you money. Yeah, so there you go. Try hacking Valve. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, hack Valve and they will give you money. Considering uh, last time someone did that, they sent the FBI after them. <laughs> yeah, uh, back in 2003. Three, when, yeah, um, that's when yeah. Half-Life 2 hacks occurred. Thing is, that guy, instead of saying, hey, I got your files, and he went, I'm just going to release it. Yeah, he released the Half-Life uh, 2 build that they were working on, which yep. revealed that they were a long way behind. But um, Troy, the company's morale for a bit there. Yeah, wrecked their morale. They... This was, um, I think, the cremator and everything came from the beta leak. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, might be might be wrong, but I do think so. Yes. So a lot of uh, cool stuff came from um, the beta leak that never made it into the full game, and they changed a lot. But uh, this was just before the planned release date, and then they delayed it by just over a year and came out with Half Life Two. So if uh, if they had released at the time. 
it would have been very different. Yes, would have been. But uh, Valve sent the FBI after the hacker, so My don't God, do that, guys. Don't release it. Don't mess with Valve. Yeah. There are some, if you do manage to hack Valve, tell them nicely and they'll give you money. Don't try to screw with them. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. There are some, like, some agencies would just go like, oh, you successfully hacked into a company. Who would like to hire your skills? Yeah, some do. Oh, yeah, they do. Facebook does, I believe. In fact, um, um, yeah, there's a lot of companies that will offer you a security job if you can hack. The problem is um, when you hack them and you don't have permission to, you go to jail. Yes. <laughs> you got to let them know that you are attempting first and then. Yeah, yeah responsible disclosure and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, kids, do not hack into anything. <laughs> no, no, you should hack. Just do it within law, please. <laughs> yes, hack <laughs> responsibly. Be a white cap, in other words. Be a white cap hacker, not a black cap, as in the uh, community says. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on to the next topic, which is about the PS5. What do you have to tell us about that, Debbie? It's coming. PS5 is on the way. So uh, Sony's released some news this week, suggesting the uh, expected expected time they're going to begin production of the units. Uh, They're still... Funny, I really find it funny how they're um, going about this because I haven't actually revealed what the console itself was going to be. They just revealed the controller. Uh, but yeah, they're revealed when they're revealing the rest of the console. That, uh, that I'm very controversial controller, though. <laughs> I I like it, honestly. Yeah, it doesn't look too bad to me. Yeah, I, I think I, I, people are upset that it's like, oh, it's white, so we just taking over Xbox. I'm like, the original PlayStation controller was like a very off gray. So and the original Xbox was black. It's yeah. black, yeah. So it's like, in, in retrospect, if you put it, you know. Although some were comparing it to um, the, ali- the Alienware um, controllers as well. I mean, there's so many controllers out there. You can compare it to anything, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And but, it's uh, nice to see that um, to some extent they are innovating a little bit. Yes. controller <laughs> design is fairly static. Mm. Yeah. If you look at every single stock since the original, uh, when they put the two analog sticks on, it's just the same yeah. thing. <laughs> Just put two, you know, analog sticks in there. It's all good. No, this one's got the, uh, the, looks like it's got the touchpad on the front. The DualShock 4 had it on the back, didn't it? The touchpad. No, the DualShock had it on the front as well. Oh, okay. The design this time around is a bit more, less rectangular. But yeah. Um, it's because the thing that's different about this one is that the actual thumb analog sticks are part of, like, the unit itself in a way. Because, you know, like, usually, like, these jutting things out the bottom. But this time it's, like, melting. But um, anyways, like, like so they've released the controller, but yeah, haven't released actual what well, the actual console is going to look like yet or its price and stuff until now. So they have suggested that the actual launch price of the PS5 is going to be between $499 to $549 US. So eh, roughly around the same price range as PS4 was when it was released. Slightly more, gi- I think. How many, did they say, what was the um, storage space would be like? Uh, I don't believe so. It's just they're being very, like, it's really different how each console manufacturer is going about it because obviously Xbox come out, here it is, guys. Here's our console. Everything, want it? Uh, yep, here is the processor. Here, like, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Sony's just like, hey, 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 here's our controller. <laughs> now, it's been a while since uh, the spec leaks, but um, didn't the, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the, PS5, was it that one or the Xbox that had the proprietary storage? I can't remember, honestly. No, I think it was the PS5. I, I, can't, I can't confirm. Because I remember the Xbox, the leaks, it said they had backwards compatibility with every single console generation. Yeah, uh, that was a PS. Which yeah, is the, the, very, the um, was the, uh, very pipe dreamy. But Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, 
Okay, so uh, wait, wait, wait. Recording back. What were you saying? Uh, yeah, as far as about that, guys. Uh, so uh, they actually showed it working. So uh, I remember uh, who was it? One of the tech YouTubers were did a video at the Microsoft place, and they showed it. Put a you know original play original Xbox disc into the Xbox Series X, and just worked. Obviously, that was uh, staged in a way because obviously it was um, at the Microsoft offices. But yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're advertising it will. So, I mean, at least some games probably will. But, speaking, uh, of, um, speaking of Xbox, do you guys see the new logo for the Xbox Series X? No, I haven't. Yeah, there's a new logo out and it looks really weird. Huh. <laughs> ah, there we go. Series X. It looks like something out of a business card. What the flip is this? <laughs> <laughs> what? This is so un... Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It looks like a shampoo company's um, logo. <laughs> it looks like the Vidal Sassoon uh, comp logo. Yeah. I mean, it works, I guess, but they really are going with that new color palette, aren't they? Oh, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so PS5, expected time, $500-$550, roughly, they're expecting. And it'll begin production uh, in June, I believe. Yeah, June. We're going to start production. Um, and, yeah, depending on the viruses are having an impact, they apparently saying, of course, stuff. But, yeah, June, they're going to start launching everything. And the reveal event, so we actually will find out what the actual console is. Uh, late March, not late May, uh, early June, apparently. That's where they think you're revealing. So not too far away now. Um, it'll be interesting to see because uh, Xbox really has set the game up once more. Yeah. It's going to be a... What do you think of the Xbox, the Series X design aesthetically? I, I actually, I, I hate it for a bit, but I actually like it now. I think for one, its design is really good in terms of heat dissipation. Like if you, it's basically just a giant fan. Um, and uh, in terms of design itself, it's a lot more movable. Because like, you think, okay, people are accustomed to having just everything rectangular bricks, but actually the size of it means you can stack it. It's like the Wii in a way. Um, yeah. so obviously a bit bigger than the Wii, but the way you could like putting it upright or laying it down, you actually have more room for other things. Yeah. It looks like when you look at it, it looks like a um, PC tower. I mean, it, 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 the Xbox is a PC, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What um will be interesting, though, will be the cooling. Yes. Because uh, consoles are traditionally not great at cooling, and they uh, keep like, packing even more powerful chips into them. Like I, I reckon this one's going to cool pretty well. Like If you've seen any of the stuff of it inside, it is basically just a ton of heat sinks and a giant flipping fan. Like, it is a huge fan. Like, that top area where it has the green lights, I believe they were, um, that was basically just a cover for a giant fan. So, that, in a way, the whole way the console's designed is actually just a giant, um, like, heat dis- dissipation tower. Like, it's the whole reason has got that design in the first place, I believe, because it was just to get the heat out. Um, but yeah, I wonder what, I think Sony was, I remember something about PS5 potentially having water, water cooling or something, because they just couldn't get to be cool enough. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens for uh, them. Can you imagine, like, using a PS5 console with so many pipes around that thing? <laughs> oh, no, my console just, just leaked all water everywhere. Oh, my <laughs> hi-fi set's on fire. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think um, water cooling is enough of an improvement to be putting it in uh, in consumer products. It's just <laughs> another place where people can screw it up. Yes, especially how consoles are treated compared to PC uh, rigs. Sorry, he'll be fine. Oh, I just broke the water, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also um, these days, water cooling is uh, about as re- efficient as air cooling anyway. Yeah, and like, as long as you've got a good enough fan, which is what Xbox went with, you're, you're basically fine. The main thing, though, I mean, 
it, sorry, it affects pretty much any cooling dust. Like that's the main thing. Can you imagine the repair cost if if one of the pipes burst? It'd be like that'll be uh, two thousand bucks. Thanks. Like if it does break, I hope they put the blue ring of death instead of the red because it just makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> just make it elemental so the red ring it's not red anymore it's just a ring of what element broke it so you have water like a blue <laughs> so, well yeah the red ring of death was because of uh, overheating yeah so it comes red <laughs> it's on fire then um <laughs> green because what could it be uh it, it's earth so it's earth, so <laughs> the wiring could be a problem <laughs> plants growing into something ants, ants. <laughs> ants inside the console <laughs> And then what was the final one? Um, got fire, water, earth, and air. Air. Oh, no air. It's got no air. <laughs> the fan for the fan froze. <laughs> fan broke. The fan broke. Oh, that'd be like. Um, imagine if all of the. Imagine if all of them lit up. It'd be like, ah, crud. I got the Avatar Ring of Death. <laughs> and if your ring lights up in every single element, well, we leave that to find out. <laughs> Run. Run. Console has a work and <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the latest news of Sony. Not much, but it's something. At least we now know the uh, time to look forward to. So they said uh, a strategy meeting will take place on May nineteenth. So whatever that uh, technically means. Um, and we now know the price, so you can start saving. Yep. Yes. Begin I'm... to say. I, re- I I reckon just don't get it for the first year, as most people say. Just wait it out. Let let the let a let the slim come out or something because it'll be a uh, better quality. Because obviously, yeah. All first-generation consoles always have something wrong. Yeah. Because uh, it was like the Xbox 360, Red Ring of Death, uh, PS, the original PlayStation, just a flipping giant. And then, like, the original Xbox One was, well, spyware for your home. The original PS4 wasn't bad, actually. No, that, that one, I think I have many issues. So we'll uh, look forward to that and see if there's any good games. Yes. Yeah, uh, so DJ, what do you have to tell us about anime? Oh, so we've got what some interesting news in terms of anime to live action stuff. Uh, so Cowboy Bebop is, as we all know, Cowboy Bebop is coming up soon. Um, but uh, it's marred with a lot of problems, such as the main character having his knee injured and now with the coronavirus pandemic. But in uh, Besides all that, um, the writer and producer Jeff Pinkage is thinking of doing a second season. Already, the first season's even come out. The first season hasn't even come out. He's going, all right, we're gonna make a second season, guys. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's you know, when you're doing adaptation, it's probably not the best start. This is confident, and he said, and, so uh, he basically, he, oh, sorry, it reminds me of how confident, uh. Dennis Villeneuve, I can't remember his, how you say it, that uh, he's decided to film Dune as two movies. And oh my god, why? Yeah, so, <laughs> because it's a very heavy book, but um, he reckons, uh, well, based on the casting, the story is going to end sometime after Paul first joins the Fremen, which is about where the, the book takes a, a time skip. But... um. Yeah, he's I mean, decided to film it in two parts, even though he hasn't been given the funding for part two yet. <laughs> I mean, so it's okay. not like with with Lord of the Rings, where they basically confirmed they would do three parts and film them back to back. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, okay, there are, the two parts, fair enough, because Dune is jack. Dune is such a just giant book. I mean, if you know the story behind the original 80s production, it was a nightmare. It jumped yeah. from director to director. It went for like, 
I think it was like seven years of reduction because it jumped from Ridley Scott. No, it jumped from someone else to Ridley Scott. Yeah, then got, or fortunately his brother died during that and then he was depressed and left it, left it to go make Blade Runner. <laughs> and then it got handed off to another guy. Jodorowsky was in there at one point. Yeah, and they had another director. Yeah. And then it came full circle with, um, I forgot the actor's name who played Rachel and Blade Runner came back and she did main, the main character. It's like, <laughs> it's such a nightmare. And then the movie wasn't very good either in the end. Yeah. So uh, I have to wonder, has Hollywood learned anything? No. <laughs> yeah, that sounds all right. <laughs> okay, so but well, then here's the thing, though. So Jeff Pink Pinkner, he was the writer and executive producer of Fringe and Lost. He's hoping to thrill fans of the original 1998 anime and attract new viewers who have no prior knowledge of the series. Really? Yeah. So uh, he, he said in this big quote, he's saying like, I think I'm, quote, I think I'm very excited by our opportunity to take this iconic anime and bring it to life. Um, he he told this um, before heading off to a notes call on the script for season two. I think our actors are spectacular and the, and the world we're creating down in New Zealand that we're excited to get back as soon as we can and find dynamic visualization of this insane anime. I think that would be that's because we have these hour hour long episodes. Gee, what hour? <laughs> One hour. We have an opportunity. Oh. Guys, we we have an opportunity to take the anime and sort of like just deepen and deepen, deepen uh, dimensionalize the source material. Oh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> like, yeah, already trying to spread it out over an hour is mean. Like the, the pacing of the original episodes was so perfect, and I don't expect them to make it identical, but an hour? <laughs> like, what are they going to talk about? Like, oh, how, Sp- how, uh, Spike got t- how Spike became such a very efficient super soldier, the extended edition or something? How Spike got his spiky hair. <laughs> and um, uh, also, he, c- he continues on saying, really tell stories set in the world that in a, in a way that hopefully will not only delight the fans of anime, but expose a whole bunch of new people to the world of Cowboy Bebop. The awesome work of y- Yoko Kano, she's the woman that's behind the music for the series. Uh, it is delight. So what I'm hoping here is that they stick to Cowboy Bebop and we don't end up with a planet of weebs. <laughs> I, I, I honestly. Honestly, think they should just wait to get the response from the community. Yeah, well, the the last part, the last line is a is interesting to me. It says it's a delight. It, it's entirely different from Lost in every way, but it's been a joy. Oh, oh no, it's it's to, it's not. It's different from Lost, but it's not the way you think of it, man. Is this worrying? Should we be afraid? Uh, Probably. Hollywood, okay, Hollywood trying to do anime, it's it's always a worrying sign. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they just also announced that a Avatar uh, remake they've been doing, Avatar <laughs> Fanbit is going to release as well, into dropping, like, the whole series, all four seasons at once. <laughs> oh, The wow. remake they've done. They said, yeah, they're not just doing, like, book one and that, they're dropping all of it. So, I mean, Netflix is really trying. <laughs> Remember how J.J. Abrams wanted to remake one of the anime movies? Which one was it? Yeah, it was uh, J.J. Abrams wanted to remake um, Your Name. Oh, 
Man, please <laughs> learn. <Nice flair. laughs> Welcome to like when you just imagine when they're on the train that like the beautiful train off with the railway. Ah, uh, that's almost underwater. You know that? <laughs> but it's just like you see the reflection of the water. It's like lens flare everywhere, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Reflections. It'd be like, um, oh my god, everything's going too fast, too fast. The train's going too fast, too fast. Oh, and uh, it, I don't know. It's Hollywood doing this. It's I, I can't see it ha- becoming a good thing. Uh, like they I mess. Mean, messed- oh, sorry. The reason why is because they 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 know anime's starting to take over their area. The wings are invading. Yeah. Well, that the funny you mention that because a couple of days ago, news came out that. One Punch Man is going to be coming out in a live film adaptation. Oh, I saw that. I <laughs> I I mean superheroes are very in right now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So it makes sense, <laughs> but they just, they just need to keep to the source material a bit, guys. Don't be like, One Plus Man is a depressed, angsty teenage boy. He doesn't care about the world. Well, one day he's going to get punched once. Isn't Since that day, his man... parents ran away. <laughs> Isn't that sorry. One Punch Man supposed to be a bit of a satire of um? Yeah, yeah, it's it's, um, yeah. it's basically like so. As the title suggests, like so, all these superheroes are fighting, and One Punch Man is so powerful, he just walks in and beats them up with one punch, and they just all die. So <laughs> it's, it's meant just to throw out the whole power dynamic superheroes and just make fun of it. Yeah, and so. it's basic, and so yeah, as um, Debbie Boy said, yeah, it's uh, so Saitama, the hero that can punch, that can defeat any hero with one punch. He wants to find this worthy opponent, <laughs> <laughs> but he can't do it because everyone just die after one punch. So um, yeah, so as a uh, so the movie's coming out and it's produced by Sony Pictures. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, the producers uh, will be Evie Arad and, um, and that's that's Evie Arad of Arad Productions. They're going to be producing the film as well. I see. Uh, I, I would say I would have suggested to give it to the people who did um, Aeroplane, those, those directors, because, I mean, it's already a satire of uh, superheroes, so you might as well go the full length if you're going to do a <laughs> movie production. And those guys know how to do a satire of a genre really well. Unfortunately, Leslie Nielsen is dead. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, insiders say Sony is very high on the pro- on the property given its popularity and possibility of adding another franchise to the pipeline. Uh, <laughs> <Ron>. Please stop. <laughs> Ron, get off this oh, it doesn't this. get any better. Uh, uh, mind you, the writers for this um, for, for this series, they are the guys behind Venom, the movie, which is also which let which is going up to his upcoming sequel. They also wrote Jumanji uh, and the recent. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the beauty of it, though. The the um the sequel grossed seven hundred ninety six million at worldwide box office. Yeah, Jumanji is good. Yeah, surprised. Yeah. I mean, I always have a heart out for the original. Yeah, but no, I, no, I, no. I can't say I've seen the, the new ones. 
Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Avi Arad, for those who are not familiar, he's the guy that produced all the Spider-Man movies and the first X-Men 3 movies. Oh, I see. Not the, not, the new, not the new ones, the old ones. Oh, very, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, okay, here's a question for you guys. Who would you like to see cast as One Punch Man? I don't know. Help out. Here's my here's my pick. An animated character. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to see Bruce Willis. J- Bruce Willis in. Willis. <laughs> Just he would work. Time. He's bold. <laughs> or James McAvoy. <laughs> Either, either. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just being worried about this though because they have a bad history of of, of Hollywood a- a- adapting anime into live action. Because look at, remember what happened with Dragon Ball Evolution? Oh. It, it's, it's Sony. They're gonna put product placement up the wall. <laughs> Go like Satama, Donkachino, Satama. Here I am, punching Donkachino. I don't have any. I'm, my expectations are very low now. I, I, uh, uh, oh, hang on, sorry. So, yeah, I was just thinking, because the One Punch Man movie for Sony, yeah, that's very low. Um, but for the actual Cowboy Bebop one, well, I think the past Netflix adaptations have been very good, so it depends. Uh, no, Death Note on Netflix was iffy. It was, it was iffy. It, 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 they tried to Americanize it, which is, I, I, I respect the attempt, but... You know, yeah. sometimes yeah. yeah, this is the problem. So this is the problem with Hollywood. They can't stick to the source material. Well, they gotta put their own spin on it, otherwise it's not a Hollywood production. Uh, uh, Hollywood productions. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, move on to a new kind of nightmare. <laughs> it, um, it turns out that having poor ego strength puts you at a higher risk of nightmares. Oh, scary. So. Yeah, William E. Kelly, an associate professor at uh, California State University, has um, done a survey of undergraduates and found out that those who measure higher in ego strength tend to have reduced frequency of nightmares. And he, um, ego strength is defined as meaning the ability to tolerate unpleasant emotions and adapt when facing self-threatening information. I see. Ego strength. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I um I they don't know what the link is yet, but I'm curious to know if it's um if there's any other links like self confidence or um anything like that. Hmm. You have to wonder, don't you? It comes um, down to mindset. Yeah. Yeah. It it comes down to mindset. I mean, like there was always you know you always hear those terms: never go to bed angry or um never go ho- never go um shopping on an empty stomach kind of thing like. I think this is one of those moments where, like, this is proof saying that you should not go to bed angry, or else <laughs> yeah. you will get, or else you have terrible nightmares. Yeah, it makes sense, honestly. But I wonder, yeah, I wonder what more studies, what more they'll learn in the future, considering they've got, they've got the base now. It's just a matter of fleshing it out. I like how in one of the quotes it said, "It would be useful for further research to investigate how lower ego strength might result in more nightmares. Is it the is it that individuals with stronger egos use more healthy defenses and perceptions?" That combat distress in day-to-day life, thus reducing the need to process and detoxify them in their sleep. Yeah, I um, imagine that's a link because um, just anecdotally, I think I have more dreams when I'm, uh, well, more nightmares when I'm stressed. Mm. Yeah, stress dreams are a thing. They're, mm. they're, yeah. Oh, man, they're, they're, sometimes they can be very painful. You got any you want to share with us? Uh, <laughs> Please, by all means. I would just say uni assignments would be the best one, best example. Oh, you think Fair those will enough. stop when you graduate? 
Oh, you might be wiser. But the darkness now is coming. I get stress dreams going like, Do my Udia Siren! Finish it! Stop yeah. it! Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, and another quote they were also saying, another possibility is that there is some mechanism by which individuals with less ego strength try to manage vague, overwhelming negative emotion during sleep by creating mini-movies, a process I, I would describe as concentra- uh, concretize- concretization. <laughs> concretization. No, no, you're going to keep going until you get that right. Yep. After all, when awake, it's usually easier to manage feelings if we use words, images, or some other representation to wrap our minds around. Given there seems to be continuity between waking life and dreams, why wouldn't our minds try to deal with strong emotions using a similar process when asleep? Uh, it all makes a lot of sense, but um, it does remember Freud made a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> and he was cast out as a result. Yeah, we don't uh, listen to him so much these days because he uh, was a little bit of a nutter. <laughs> Although it does explain, though, like, you know how we always wake up and they, we always tell, like, like, our friends and stuff, oh, you know, yesterday I had this dream. Um, I was walking down this tunnel and all of a sudden something something happened and uh, and then following by this and that. It's, it does have a does, does put a point there, tr- though. Like how it's always a mini movie. True. I mean, the thing about dreams is you always forget about them as well. Yeah. So in, in a way, it is like mini movie. You watch it, you understand it, and then you forget about it. <laughs> it's like I saw the worst movie. So you're <laughs> saying God. my dreams are Marvel movies? <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just a very forgettable superhero then. <laughs> So, Professor, uh, Marvel movies, eh? <laughs> That's your nightmare? <laughs> no, my nightmare is just that forgettable. <laughs> His nightmare is Sony Pictures. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, in, with your game, Debbie Boy, do you reckon it's um they have that same? It kind of has that same idea as well. In what way? Like how it's um trying to piece together how you, how, how um, you interact with people and stuff and um yeah, yeah, yeah. we've yeah. talked about this don't psychoanalyze your co-host <laughs> <laughs> I'm under detection here <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so definitely in a way yeah but I don't know it'd be pretty cool though I mean I would love to imagine like your sequel game has this <laughs> oh I'm not going to say anything secret secret <laughs> spoiler <laughs> So, moving away from attempting to psychoanalyze people via their dreams... Thank you. <laughs> let's psychoanalyze people by the games they're playing. <laughs> what about you, Devi? Oh, man, I, well, being the same... <laughs> Take a guess! Hmm, subject Wait. displays your resistance to new games. <laughs> mm, that's slightly high, yeah. VR chat, my friends. I said everything in previous weeks. It's, it's fun, you've got to find the right group of people. Four out of... Uh, Five, I say. Four out of five. Okay. And... <laughs> Not much content there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, DJ? I've been playing a, stu- um, a game called Kill Steel. It's a, it's a student project game, and it's basically a mixture of, of Twisted Metal and Demolition Derby. Honestly, this looks like a knockoff wreck fest. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's, uh, there's powers and stuff. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. So you get you um the weapons you can have so far are missiles, laser, battering ram. That's all I've encountered so far. So like it's it's a simple game, but it's fun to play with. And I've been playing objects since. Sorry, actually, DJ, how many points? Um, since it's a student game, I'll give it a uh, three out of five. Uh, there's room for improvement, and I would like to see more of it. So, yeah, three out of five. Okay, so I've been um playing objects in space. Objects in space is basically the space simulator of submarine sp- simulators. So it's a game by uh, two sisters from New South Wales, and it's um, you play sitting in front of the this uh, display console of your ship. You can adjust the engineering so you can have uh, less critical paths to your ship that are required to keep running. You can strip it down to make yourself light, or you can add extra uh, extra paths so you have redundancy. Um, you go around scavenging, collecting bounties, doing contracts, and uh, mostly I'm impressed by the uh, the interface. I love how in depth the interface is and how it feels like you're running an '80s computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like uh, like you see in old movies, running the nuclear power plant. Yeah. 80s computer. So it's like all um, fluorescent. Yeah, words. Fluorescent. Ah, ah. God damn it, I can't say it. Fluorescent green. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, most of the computers are text interface, except for the navigation computer and the engineering computer. Oh, please tell me they've got a Zorg Easter egg in there somewhere. You know what? I haven't checked. Probably should try that one. I should. Yeah, like when you uh, log into your personal computer terminal, Mm -hmm. you can open up mail or news and it's all like connecting to a BBS. So I should really check for Zorg. Yeah. Give you something to do on those. Yeah, those long space nights. (laughs) Need something to play. Yeah, I am. Um, I give it uh, four out of five. I think the um, I'm a bit disappointed that it's entirely point and click, and that uh, the engineering consists of looking at a a panel where it pulls up the circuit board that you're repairing. I like. I think um, it would add a lot to the game to have to run around your spaceship and go to uh, like go and unscrew a section of wall panels so you can patch <laughs> up a transmission line or whatever. Mm. And um. It's got a... Actually, what first turned me on to this game was a few years ago uh, at, I think it was PAX East. They put together a really cool physical control panel. I'm going to see if I can find that video for you. But they have uh, included in the game is an Arduino interface and a uh, control console plan so you can... You can build your own custom control console, and they tell you how they did theirs. Oh, I mean, I guess that's... I mean, obviously, when you design a game, you want to design it to make sure it um, is fun with a keyboard and mouse, but like having that really pushes the immersion up, I'm guessing. Yeah, so... Um, oh, here it is. The video I saw years ago was uh, Scott Manley playing on their actual console. Wow. So I'll just drop that in the uh, the show notes there. Oh, I see. Wow. Yeah, that definitely would uh, make things a little engaging, wouldn't it? Yeah, the um, the biggest issue being that uh, based on the control panel version they're using there, they do have fuzzy dice, but um, <laughs> you would need to build a new panel for each model of spaceship you own. Oh boy, okay, that's going to be a bit of yeah. fun. So uh, looking at that video there, the left hand 
Oops. and the, the ones across the front look like they're all um, generic, but the right-hand panel is specific for the Ceres uh, craft, and uh, there's, I don't know how many different ships you can have, but there's a lot. Yeah, so it's more like a gimmick in a way. Thought, cool it included it. Yeah, so it's included, and it's um, it's a really cool feature, and it's there if you want to use it, but um, it is a lot of effort to go to, to for one game, but people yeah, do this for a uh, Kerbal Space Program all the time. Yeah, you can find dozens of Kerbal control panels on the internet. And um, we should move on. So this yeah, one. So for, uh, I don't know, I've lost my place in the show notes. There we go. For the shout outs, we have on the 15th of April, Brian Dennehy, an American actor, passed away at 81. He had two uh, Tonys and was in films including Tommy Boy, First Blood, Coon, uh, and television on Dynasty and Death of a Salesman. Uh, so in First Blood, he played the police chief in uh, who goes up against Rambo. So his family tweeted, uh, it is with heavy hearts that we announced that our father, Brian, passed away last night from natural causes not COVID-related. Larger than life, generous to a fault, a proud and devoted father and grandfather, he will be missed by his wife, Jennifer, family, and many friends. And also on the 15th, we have Alan Daviel, an American cinematographer who worked with Spielberg on E.T. and Empire of the Sun. Uh, so a um, food editor and writer, Coleman Andrews, wrote that Davio had died of coronavirus. He said, R.I.P. Alan Davio, my friend of almost 60 years, cinematographer and bomb Viviant, five-time Academy Award nominee, dining companion extraordinaire, pure soul, who left us last night at the MPTF hospital, his long-term home after contracting COVID-19. Salute mon ami. So uh, Davio got uh, nominations for Best Cinematography Oscars for The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, and E.T., along with uh, Avalon and Bugsy. He also shot the Gobi Desert sequence in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's a great scene. Yeah, and his favorite scene in E.T. was the one in which um, the boy says, I'm keeping him. So he thought this was um, great because, uh, well, he says, the little girl, played by Drew Barrymore, walks forward. There are highlights in E.T.'s eyes, no detail in the face. And the light is yellow. The effect is very much that of a Maxfield Parish paint. And on the 16th of April, we have Gene Deitch, an American animator and filmmaker. He directed 13 episodes of Tom and Jerry and also some of Popeye the, the Sailor. He got a Popeye the Sailor. Just jumping in there. I, I was all talking about Sony animation before. But I am so sad that I never did a Popeye movie instead of the Emoji movie instead. Oh, yeah! Yeah, this was talking about before. <sighs> that is a, like, basically a war crime. <laughs> <laughs> what? You mean people defend the Emoji movie now? No, making the Emoji movie was a war crime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, Gene um, got a gold medal of the New York Art Directors Club for Best Commercials twice. And um, the so these works were the first to enter the Museum of Modern Art in New York. He won the Windsor McKay Award for his lifetime contribution animation in 2004. He died of cardiac arrest in Prague. On the 17th of April 2020, Matthew Seligman, the new wave bassist for the Soft Boys and David Bowie, passed away at 64. So Matthew was a, uh, a member of Bruce Woolley and the Camera Club and the Dolphin Brothers. He played with Bowie in the 1985 Live Aid performance. 
and played bass on the soundtrack for Labyrinth. Wow. Yeah, he was in, um, he also did, uh, I think it was Absolute Beginners for Bowie. Quite a team there, eh? Yeah. Yeah, Bowie's uh, really cheesy 80s stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, yeah, it's, it's actually got pretty good uh, bass line, so hmm. like, the tune's catchy. <laughs> That's all that matters at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, no matter how cheesy the song is. <laughs> and uh, to confirm your um, being Professor, yep, he was the bassist in that one for Absolute Beginners. Yeah, so um, uh, Matthew suffered a severe hemorrhagic stroke on Friday after being in a induced coma for two weeks due to uh, coronavirus. So um, coronavirus it has a bunch of side effects. In this case, it includes your brain basically exploding. Okay. Yeah, so um, basically it uh, has an effect on the walls of the... Um Oh. The walls of the blood vessels in the heart, and uh, unfortunately, it led to a hemorrhagic stroke, which is not a good way to go. Not very good. No. no. So, um, remembrances we have on the 21st of April 1965, Edward Victor Appleton, who was a Nobel Prize winner and pioneer in radio physics. He uh, won the Nobel Prize for his work improving the existence of the ionosphere. He had observed that the strength of a radio signal from a transmitter on a frequency such as the medium wave band and over a path of 100 miles or so was constant during the day, but that it varied during the night. So this led him to believe that it was plausible that two radio signals were being received and to suggest that these variations were due to interference of the two waves. So the, um, the idea was that the first wave would come from the transmitter over regular air, so straight from the transmitter to the receiver, but that a reflection would bounce back from the ionosphere and cause interference at the point of reception. But um, because of his work, even though it seems simple, it, the periods where the ionosphere would particularly affect radio strength where um could be predicted communication could be switched to wavelengths that would be least affected and it was also the inspiration for radar hey hey <laughs> yeah so um yeah the, 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 the creation of radar itself was really fascinating if you yeah. look into it especially how their approaches for radar came along especially like i think i forgot the name of it but the the concrete walls and um England. Oh yes, uh, they had giant uh, <laughs> dishes to focus the sound of an aircraft, and they'd have a guy sitting in the dish, and if he heard an aircraft coming, he would uh, go and tell someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, had, they had microphones set up there. They had okay. a guy originally. They had microphones set up between locations. It was only really a test trial, but the plan was to build like hundreds of those across the British Isles. But then, well, Rita came along and said, "Hey, you're obsolete." Yeah, and then um, radar led to the microwave when a scientist yeah. discovered that his um, chocolate bar had melted when it was sitting in front of a microwave, of a radar. <laughs> radar frequency, such fun. Yeah, and uh, so I think it was just last week we were talking about Robert Watson Watt, who invented radar, or who like, first used it to detect aircraft. So Edward died at 72 in Edinburgh. On the 21st of April 2016, Prince passed away, or the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, Prince Rogers Nelson, the American singer, songwriter, musician, record producer, dancer, actor, and filmmaker. He was known for his uh, eclectic, genre-decressing work, flamboyant and androgynous persona, energetic live shows, and wide-ranging singing voice. So he won a... um, He sold over 100 million records, won seven Grammys, seven Brits, six American Music Awards, four MTV Video Music Awards, an Academy Award, and a Golden Globe Award. 
He also got the Grammy President's Merit Award, American Music Awards for Achievement and of Merit, and the Billboard Icon Award. And he was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004, the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2006, and the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame in 2016. Like, he basically would have needed a second house to keep all these trophies. <laughs> no, not a second house. He's a second, like, whole part of block. Just, just, <laughs> this room is from 1974. This room is from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, and when he brings guests over, would you like to check out my trophy collection? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I like and that story for you. It's like in movies when they go into the warehouse and turn the lights goes down the aisle and goes on forever. Yeah, where should we start? Oh, let's start at the start. Wow, <laughs> just this way, please. And then like uh, six hours later, and that's the story of every trophy. <laughs> so he died from an accidental overdose of fentanyl at 57 in Chanhassen, Minnesota. And on the 21st of April, 2018, Vern Troyer passed away. Vern was the uh, American actor, comedian, and stunt performer who played Mini-Me in Austin Powers, um, Griphook in Harry Potter, and Percy in the film The Imaginarium of Dr. Panassus. So uh, Vern had cartilage hair hypoplasia and was 81 centimeters tall. He died of suicide at the age of 49 in Los Angeles, California. And for the famous birthdays on the 21st of April, 1816, we have Charlotte Bronte. She was the eldest, eldest of the three Bronte sisters whose novels became classics of English literature. So um, in 1839, she took a role as governess for the Sidgwick family, but left after a few months to return to Hayworth, where she opened a school with her sisters. And uh, it turns out all three of the sisters were writing and didn't know the others were until eventually <laughs> they all like, they got together and all figured it out and were like, wait a minute, we're all authors. So they wrote their <laughs> first book together um, under the names uh, Carrier, Ellis and Acton Bell and published it in 1946. Um, Charlotte's first book, The Professor, was rejected by publishers. Her second novel, Jane Eyre, was published in 1847. So Charlotte was born in Thornton. In, uh, is that the UK? Yes, it is the UK. On the 21st of April 1915, we have Garrett Hardin, the American ecologist and proponent of eugenics, who warned of the dangers of human overpopulation. He is most famous for the creating the uh, essay on the tragedy of the commons, which called attention to the damage that innocent actions by individuals can inflict on the environment. So in short, the idea is that everyone goes to the commons to graze their animals, and no one is motivated to care for it because it's someone else's problem. Or if I don't exploit it, somebody else will. Oh, yeah. So in 1968, he applied the model of tragedy of the commons to human population growth, the use of Earth's natural resources, and the welfare state. He reckoned the welfare state allowed the tragedy of the commons, where the state provides children and supports overbreeding as a fundamental human right. He said, Freedom's, freedom in a commons brings ruin to all. He was born in Dallas, Texas. So I bet he would have been um, a big fan of the one-child policy. <laughs> but I have to, I have to say, because... Um... Well, that's half true. The thing is, when you have better welfare and stuff, the amount of people, the amount of kids people want to have goes down, though. Yeah. Yeah. These days we know that um, education plays a big part in reducing birth rate, mm. as well as healthcare and everything, because you'd, if you don't need to make sure that you have three kids to look after you when you're old, you don't yep. need to have half a dozen just to make sure that enough make it through. Yeah. That's, uh, well, that's the thing. Well, population is going down, technically. 
it's still increasing, but the the rate is a uh, flatlining soon. Yeah, and a lot of Western countries are now technically negatively um, yes. have a negative yes. growth rate. Hey, boomers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so some of his uh, views of the um, eugenics thing. Uh, a bit less popular today. Um, get you in a lot of trouble if you were um, a proponent of it, especially after that little thing called the uh, the Nazi Party decided <laughs> oh, to. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was a horrible time. Hey there, guys. Yeah. It, uh, well, eugenics were hugely popular all over the world up until World War Two, and then the Nazis started doing it, and people were like, "Wait a minute, this is wrong." Wait a but uh, yeah, the tragedy of the commons and his views on um, well, ecology and everything are still fairly relevant today. Definitely. Oh, that's interesting. So he was a proponent for abortion, which got him criticism from the political right. But he's also listed as a white nationalist. Nationalist. Yeah. I guess, yeah, you can't really, yeah. sometimes you can't put some people into some categories. Yeah, he doesn't fit in are... any particular category. So it says here, he supported abortion, gets him in trouble with the right. He advocates limits to immigration, gets him in trouble from the left. Actually was an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, on the 21st of April, 1979, James McAvoy was aboard. James McAvoy is a Scottish actor who made his acting debut in the Near Room in 1995 um, and made mostly television appearances until 2003. His notable television work includes State of Play and Frank Herbert's Children of June, which um, is the pretty decent uh, sci-fi miniseries version of June, (laughs) as opposed to the atrociously weird David Lynch version. (laughs) Yes. And now hopefully we're going to get an actual good uh, movie version from Dennis Villeneuve. I mean, considering it's Dennis, I hire to him. Yeah. Uh, So James is also in Nomeo and Juliet. Uh, He performed voice roles, played as Mr. Tumnus in The Chronicles of Narnia, and got uh, several award nominations for... Uh, performing in The Last King of Scotland. That was a good movie. That was definitely. So in 2011, he started playing Charles Xavier in the X-Men movie, and he got a critical acclaim for playing Wendell Crumb in M. Night Shyamalan's Split. He was born in Glasgow. So for events of interest, we have on the 21st of April, 1918, the German flying ace, the Red Baron, was killed in action. Flying over the Somme River in France, Baron Manfred von Richthofen, was killed by Allied fire. He had 80 victories under his belt, and this is uh, very controversial because he was in a dogfight with a Canadian Air Force pilot, Captain Arthur Roy Brown, and while he was chasing down one of Brown's uh, compatriots, he flew over enemy territory where two miles behind Allied lines, they passed over an Aussie machine gun battery which <laughs> opened fire on him. So Richtofen was hit in the torso and managed to land alongside a road from Corby to Bray, near Saley Lissac, but was dead by the time the Aussie troops reached him. And uh, there's a lot of debate about whether it was the Aussies on the ground or the Canadians in the air. Gotta have some friendly rivalry, can't we? You gotta, you gotta have something to debate. <laughs> yes, can't uh, have a can't be part of the Commonwealth without having friendly rivalry. So come on, Canada, give us this one. Give us one, please. <laughs> Look, we 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 all I mean, come. We also stole one of the only German tanks for one, so, you know. Yeah, look, the Kiwis <laughs> won't give us lamingtons. Please just give us this. 
So on the 21st of April 1934, the surgeon's photograph was published. So this is the most famous photo of the Loch Ness Monster, published in the Daily Mail, and found to be a hoax in 1999. (laughs) So the image was taken by a Dr. Wilson, who claimed he was looking at the Loch when he saw a monster, so he grabbed his camera and took five photos. Only two exposures were clear. So uh, he refused to have his name associated with the photograph, and eventually the uh, analysis revealed that the uh, ripples in the image were incorrect for such a large creature. Did they uh, find out what it was actually? Um... I don't know. I'm just pulling up the article now. Uh, actually, the um, yeah, this article we have here seems to uh, say that the ripples were part of the argument for the authenticity of the photo. Oh, I see. So I'm just trying to find out if I can um, find a more detail on that. So that's just a kid. <laughs> a kid in a blob balloon. <laughs> just some kid drowning. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so the um, Stuart Campbell in 1984 wrote an article uh, using an uncropped version of the image, so the version published in the Daily Mail was cropped to focus on the uh, object. But Campbell claims that the object must have been only a few feet in length and is likely a seabird or otter. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, technically there is a Loch Ness monster inside Loch Ness. Really? Uh, so there was this very meh, uh, name. The famous detective. What's this detective? Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, so the Sherlock movie made in the 60s. They had an inflatable Loch Ness monster. But the, <laughs> the director didn't like it. So they filmed the Loch Ness. The director didn't really like the uh, giant barrels holding it up. So it's time to get rid of it. And, um, well, surprise, surprise, it sank. Wait a minute. That's then... an episode of the Magic School Bus. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's I'm true, serious. though. Yeah. yeah There's an episode of the Magic School Bus with a very similar plot where a, a news reporter is using a um, an inflatable monster held down by barrels to <laughs> get attention for her uh, news show. Yep. That's the basically happened, and um, I think this year some of the people doing some uh, data race searching in the Loch Ness found the old um, animatronic way down below. They haven't sent any probes down, but I can see it in the radar. Cool. There it is, laying at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I've included a link to the article about the hoax. Uh, in 1994, Christopher Sperling admitted that he helped to hoax the image. So Sperling was the stepson of Marmaduke Wetherell, a big game hunter who had been hired in 1933 to find the monster and returned uh, with images or evidence of enormous footprints. But uh, the Natural History Museum researchers concluded the tracks been made with a dried hippo's foot, which were popular umbrella stands at the time. <laughs> so um, Sperling says that Wetherell got it to create a model of the monster and place it on a toy submarine. And then they used uh, the surgeon, Robert Kenneth Wilson, to give the photo to the media because of his reputation. Mm. Well, it did a good job, play that. <laughs> yeah, fooled a lot of people for a lot of years. Still sound, I believe it. Yeah, so uh, on the 21st of April, 1989, the uh, Tiananmen Square protest began. A uh, hundred thousand students gathered in Tiananmen Square to commemorate Chinese reform leader Hu Yaobang. So... The next day, there was an official memorial held in the Great Hall of the People, broadcast live to the students. The, um, unfortunately, uh, let's see, a couple of months later, the Tiananmen Square incident never happened. <laughs> <laughs> was it because they had, uh, was it because um, they couldn't find better computers at the time? 
Well, all dog types are destroyed. What do you mean? No, it was, it was definitely hacks. There's no way they found better computers back then. It doesn't matter what, what Intel tells you, it's not that they have better computers. Yes, uh, a few years ago, there was an article about a, I think it was a, an Intel advertisement showing hackers in, in a game, and somebody came out saying, uh, they're not hackers, they just have better computers. Oh, I see now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hackers have got better computers. Sure. But uh, that's all we have for this week. DJ, where can they find us? Um, They can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Also on that'snotcanon.com, where we have an archive of our old episodes and merchandise. Um, All of, all of the info will be on our show notes. They can also find us um, some new TNC podcasts that have been um, coming out lately, such as Troubling Issues. What's that podcast, about? A podcast about comic books and some of the weird stories that are involved in it. Like, for example, Wonder Woman being tied too many times. <laughs> well, I have heard the rumor that the author uh, Wonder Woman was in the bridge. They can also find other um TNC podcast such as um, That's Not COVID. Which yes, I'm I in that one. Yeah. That's Not COVID is a podcast about things that aren't the uh, pandemic. <laughs> so <laughs> last week I did a review of webcomics and we have people doing uh, discussions of philosophy, um, reviews, games you can play. Uh, we've actually had one of the episodes is a a local game developer describing how to create your first game and coming up with a plan for basically doing a little prototype with your kids. So, is there anything else to add? Oh, I think that's it. Uh, covered everything from Sony to movies to uh, the next client consoles. Okay, so uh, stay hydrated, look after yourselves, and stay stay healthy. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Put a one that one. Yes. <laughs> see you guys. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 